it's one thing to seek after God. It's another thing to be embraced by Him and to enjoy His presence. Sometimes it seems that we're always in pursuit of God and we don't realize He likes to be caught. He does. And He wants to hold us. Amen. I want to share a word of the Lord with you this morning and as we look to this, I want to share with you what it means to imitate God's heart. Just a couple weeks ago, I shared a message on rejection. What it is to be rejected. I shared with you the story between Rachel and Leah and how Leah was trying through her efforts to have children find some kind of love from Jacob. But by the fourth child, she no longer named that child as some effort to please Jacob. She named that child Levi, um, Jake, uh, Judah. Four kids, I, get, I couldn't even remember my own kids' names. <laughs> Judah as praise to God. She changed her vision to God instead of her problem. And I want to extrapolate on that this morning and bring that into a message of how to find God over rejection because He does not reject us. We're accepted in the Beloved. We're found by Him. He found us before we even found Him and brought us to Himself. That is love. And I want to share that with you through the life of David now this morning. And uh, as I've been doing studies on David, uh, about a year ago I studied the life of David through First and Second Samuel and and uh, King in, in going through his life, uh, and I found that this guy made a lot of mistakes. He, he really made a mess of things. How many of you know that? And I actually didn't like him when I was reading about him. The way he treated women and the way he dealt with his enemies and the way he... I, I did. I had a problem with that, and I had to rectify that. And then the Lord took me to the Psalms, to where David's heart was. It's one thing to have people write your story. It's another to hear your heart in that story. And I began to read Psalms and I began to see a part of David that the biographers maybe didn't get. They wrote about his actions, but they didn't know about his heart in all of it. And there's something about David's heart that really speaks to all of us. So you could look at my life, I can look at your life, and I think we can see a lot of error and sin. How many of you would know that? We're trying to be refined into the, to the image of Christ, and in that process, we run into trouble. But, but our hearts are turned towards God. And we have a relationship with God, and in that relationship, He's shaping us. And that's what happened with David. Well, David had an issue with rejection as well. If you'll look into Jewish history and understand the Mishnah, uh, the Midrash, and some of the ancient writings about David, many ancient rabbis believed that David somehow was born uh, illegitimately. Let me help you understand that there's a lot of different rabbinic stories as to how this took place with Jesse, his father, and his mother, and uh, many different twists and turns to the idea about it. 
I don't know how it happened, but let me give you some clues as to the possibility that it did. It'll help you understand David's rejection and what shaped this man into the pursuit of God's heart. Let me share with you some scriptures very briefly, and I start with Psalm 51, verse 5. You know that this is his repentant psalm, and in the middle of this psalm, he writes this as a song, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, in theology, we use that as a reference to the issue of original sin, that all have been born in sin from Adam Uh, for all time. Anybody in Adam is a sinner, and we see using this verse that as we're born, we're born in sin. We don't need this verse to prove that. Paul also proves that in the book of Romans when he says that even when there was no law, everyone died from Adam to Moses. And if the wages of sin is death, then uh, even without a law, everybody dies, we're all born in sin. So we understand that. I'm going to set that aside and say this verse actually is not talking about his birth, but it's talking about his what? Conception. He says that I was conceived in iniquity. So the event that took place that caused conception and his life to begin was brought brought forth in iniquity by sin. So somehow, some way, David was born in that manner. Psalm 27.10, David says this, When my father and my mother forsook me, but the Lord took care of me. Psalm 69, verses 7 and 8, I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. How'd you like to refer to your brothers as your mother's sons? There's a distance there in that concept. And in fact, the Hebrew word for stranger and alien is the root word for bastard. He was a bastard child somehow, and I'm not going to try to pursue that understanding of how that happened. But that's what he said. I'm a stranger or a bastard in my family somehow. And though my parents may reject me, the Lord never will. Psalm 69, verse 12, and we heard a message on this Wednesday that was beautiful as it referred to Messiah Jesus as well, but remember, this is David's own journal about his life. He didn't realize how prophetic it would be about Jesus as well, but he is still writing his thoughts about his situation. And in Psalm 69, 12, he says, I'm the talk of those who sit at the city gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. He goes on in Psalm 38, 11, he says, My loved ones and my friends stand aloof. My relatives stand afar off. Psalm 31, 13, For I hear the slander of many. So there's some level of estrangement with David, and this helps us begin to understand the situations we read about when Samuel the prophet says that God wants to anoint a new king, and he goes to Jesse's house, and he says, Jesse, the Spirit of the Lord led me to your house. Where's your sons? Bring them out. I need to anoint one of them. So Jesse brings his sons and lines them all up, and there's the oldest, tall, dark, and handsome. Samuel says, yeah, this is the guy. Pulls out the oil and goes, ah, uh, no. All right, I don't know what's in his life, but maybe the next. Nope. Hmm. Nope. 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 
Nope. Now he's confused because he asked Jesse to bring out his children, his sons, before him. And the Lord told him to go to Jesse's house to anoint Jesse's son. So either Samuel didn't hear from God or Jesse didn't bring out all his boys. You know how many times you have a word from the Lord and you discount it because it doesn't seem to be all there and many times you're right but the situation didn't present itself. If you know you hear from God, stand on that word. Samuel stood on it and he had to ask the question, Jesse, are these all your boys? Well, no, there's David. Bring them here. David walks in the room and boom, it's electrified. The Holy Spirit says, that's the guy. You see, why wouldn't he bring David into this when he was asked to bring his sons? Why the estrangement? Why the rejection? And listen to what happened when David goes to the battle when Jesse's sons are all there ready to fight Goliath and David shows up. One man put it this way. He's the first pizza delivery guy. Because he brought bread and cheese. That's basically what pizza is. Not my joke. I heard it a long time ago. But anyways, he shows up and listen to what the elder brother, Eliab, says to David. Why did you come here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep? Gives the idea that David herding sheep was some job they came up with just to get them off the ranch. Why'd you leave those few sheep? And he goes on and he says this, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came here just to watch the battle. Hey, that's nice. Isn't that a nice welcome? Sounds like your family reunion, right? Then David says this, now what did I do? So there's some level of rejection here. David talks about it. David writes about it. He says even my family estranged me. The people in the city talk about me. Psalm 69 said that when something's stolen, they blame him. And so David finds solace in the wilderness with the sheep. What he doesn't understand is that God will take any situation, any rejection, anything that you have gone through or have endured, and he will shape it into your life to bring it something of glory to God. And David began to meditate on God. David began to write. He began to journal. He began to get out his guitar, and he began to play. All right, it was a stringed instrument, but for us it's a guitar. And he starts singing to God, and he starts making melody in his heart, and he's writing songs down. The Lord's my shepherd. I don't need anybody else. He's going to lead me, and I don't need that advice. In fact, what happens is he begins to grasp The fact that God will never leave him. God will never forsake him. Psalm, a song he wrote in 38, 15, he said, But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you. O Lord, my God, it's you who answer me. I talk at the dinner table, nobody listens to me. I ask for the potatoes, no one will pass them. It's you that hears me. You hear me. And he begins to have a relationship with God to where he desires to be in God's presence because he begins to realize God's heart. God, Israel's rejected you. God, you have saved them. You brought them through the wilderness. You have blessed them. You have made covenant with them. And they reject you. 
but I won't. And they come together and understand each other. They begin to love each other. David, it makes sense that he had this kind of a rejection because it kind of helps you understand then his life. He had a bit of a problem. He was very dysfunctional in relationships. How many of you know that? I mean, the first, the first wife that David has was Michael. And Michael was Solomon's daughter, right? I'm uh, sorry, Michael was Saul's daughter. And, and, and he's hanging with, with Michael, and that's his first wife, and, and she's taken away from him, then she's restored back to him. And, and David has this amazing relationship with God, but even his wife, Michael, you remember when he was dancing and singing before God, she started saying, you're so disrespectful, you're so inappropriate. He said, you ain't seen nothing yet. He began to worship God with his whole heart and might, and it says she was barren after that. Then there was Abigail. David kind of liked the lady who was already married to another guy that was kind of a jerk, and you know, and the Bible says that, just you have to look in the Hebrew for that. But anyways, and, and, and uh, the, the soldiers say, you know, just stay, the girl's married, stay away from her. He had a problem with that a little later too. And uh, a husband dies, and then she, they connect, and you never hear about her anymore. And then, of course, you know the situation with Bathsheba, and uh, I don't even have to get into that. And then he goes and murders his best friend, uh, who's the wife of Bathsheba, and I, I mean, this is a dysfunctional life here. And, and then his relationships with his children, how many of you know he didn't parent that well? The demise of his, 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 his throne, actually, his own son comes against him, wars against him. He doesn't handle the situation with his daughter being raped, and there's a real problem here with the family dynamics. Do you know that Christians actually have problems in their families and marriages? I mean, it's our goal to be shaped into the image of Christ, and how many of you know if, if we didn't have the Holy Spirit in us? Ugh. We have the Holy Spirit in us enough. But God is not done with us, is He? And David is that prototype of what the New Testament believer is to be. And why is David the prototype for what the New Testament believer is supposed to be? Because the way he dealt with his relationships? No, the way he worshipped God. In fact, God said and told Saul that I want a man after my own heart. Saul, you're done. I am seeking a man after my own heart. Two references in Scripture, 1 Samuel 13, 14 and Acts 13, 22, where David is called a man after God's own heart. Now, this lets us know something about David and something about God equally. God is looking for someone who will seek his heart. He says in 2 Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Jesus said to the woman at the well in Samaria, John 4.23, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking people who will worship him in that way. 
David was the prototype of that. Obviously, he was, he was an image and a picture of Messiah Jesus who lived perfectly, who came from the heart or the bosom of the Father, who had the Father's heart. And so what you need to understand is that a man who is after God's own heart, what does it mean to be after God's own heart? Does it mean to... <clears throat> I'm after it. I need to pursue God's heart. God is looking for people who are pursuing Him. Which is interesting because Paul tells us there are none righteous, no, not one. No man seeks God. In our own ability, in our own volition, we don't want God. We want some image of God. We want some relationship. We don't even know how to seek Him or where to go. God loves us first. God draws us. Now, David truly did love God and seek after him. He said, like a deer pants for the water, I long for you, God. I need to be with you, God. I seek you day and night. I want to. So, yes, he was after God's heart, but there's something deeper here. In fact, in the meaning of it, when it says he's seeking a man after his own heart, what he's actually saying when he says, I'm looking for a man or this man who is after my own heart, he takes after God. That's the phrase we use it. David was someone who takes after God's heart. In other words, he was an imitator of God's heart. Not a pursuer, but in fact, an imitator. Do you see the difference? It's one thing to clamor to get to want to know God more. It's another to know Him so well you represent His heart. I need a man who will represent my heart. And of course we see that in Jesus Christ who in John 1.18 comes from the bosom or the heart of the Father. He is the representation of the Father. He is the image of the invisible Godhead. He is the heart of God. But something happens for us as New Testament believers to be fashioned under the prototype David in our worship. And we're not just to be hungry for God. We're to represent Him. How am I going to represent God's heart? He's going to put His heart in me. That's why Jesus died on this cross. He died on the cross to separate sin out of us so He could put His heart in us. The Spirit of God to dwell in us so that now we represent the heart of God. We're not just people who seek after God. We are people who demonstrate His heart. We're people who imitate God's heart. they're not seeing it the world is not seeing an imitation of God's heart what does it take to imitate God how can we get there how can we be an imitator of God's heart we're not someone seeking God's heart we're someone who represents it who imitates it and that's what David did how do I, why do I say that? Ephesians 5.1 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering of sacrifice to God. You see, worship is a life given up to the devotion of God. When I say worship, many of you think, yeah, that's singing, that's music, that's projectors, that's words. That's one aspect. 
But true worship is what Christ demonstrated by giving Himself up. And so we're living sacrifices where I imitate Christ. I imitate the heart of God. I imitate a love that reaches the lost, that never quits touching lives and caring and giving and demonstrating the love of God for this world. God's heart on display. That's true worship. That's giving worth to Him. And when you can only do this by knowing the love He has for you. You see, the only way you can imitate someone is to know them. And that's what happened to David. That is the story of David. The way he could imitate God's heart, be a man after his own heart. He's after me. Uh, He's just like me, God's saying. I need someone who's just like me in my heart, my own heart. And that was David. And how did he get there? By the rejection of others, by leaving the world behind and leaving other situations behind, he found God's heart. He began to understand God's heart. He began to dissect it and know his love for covenant and for his people. And so much so, the very first action as a young man, he heard that there's a giant, this giant uncircumcised Philistine trash talking the God of Israel we tolerate all that we put up with everybody making all this stuff but but I'll tell you David said I'll not have any of it he got there delivering the food and the bread to his family and he heard this guy ranting against Israel and he's going like what's the deal man how come everybody whatever what come on you see he had such a passion for God God told him how to kill a bear. God, God taught him when he was in his place of intimacy and time, he learned how to be a soldier. He learned how to be a conqueror by learning how to kill the animals that were after his sheep. He learned how to have a shepherd's heart. That's why he said, God's my shepherd. God's got a shepherd's heart. Hey, wait a minute. God's got a shepherd heart. I'm a shepherd. I think I get him. He began to know him. He began to protect his sheep. And so a bear comes, and he said, you're not touching my sheep. God, help me. They're not touching our sheep. These are our sheep. And he destroyed a bear, right? Then came a lion. You know what a lion is? A bear with different skin on. It's just another enemy with claws and teeth. Just a different shape, right? The enemy only has a few tricks. He's got some claws and feet. Everything that comes at you, it's the same enemy you've defeated before. So now it's a lion. It's different than a bear. God says, not with me. (laughs) It's a defeated enemy. The teeth and the claws are just in different places. So he goes. So when he hears this Philistine starting to say all this stuff, he goes up to him and he goes, just claws and teeth, man, just in a different way. I got this. He said, how dare you speak about our God? That's my God. Do you see the relationship? This wasn't about him defending Israel. This was him and God. This is my God. Do you see how intimate he was? I mean, what do we tolerate? What do we put up with? Huh? 
Do you know him? Do you love him that much? And so this is what happened. How do we get to represent and imitate God's love? The first thing you need to do is spend time with him. That's what David said. David wrote songs about it. He said this in Psalm 27, One thing have I desired all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. That's all I want to do. I just want to spend all my time seeing him, knowing him. I want to be with him. I'd rather be with him than with them. He said, I just want to gaze upon your beauty forever. I just want to dwell in the house of the Lord. Psalm 23, I just want to dwell in the house of the Lord. How often? Forever. Forever. How many of you are entertained by God? Entertained by God. And I use the word entertained on purpose because it means to delight. Hmm? How many of you are entertained by Him? Does He delight you? How many of you would rather spend time with Him than watching the tigers? I'm stepping on toes now. Maybe that was too easy. All right, spend time with him instead of the next Born Identity movie. Uh, oh, sorry, okay. Didn't... All right, how about Captain America? Huh? The Avengers. Uh, does God delight you as much as the next fad? Huh? Hey, uh, how many of you delight in God more than porn? There was a delay here. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. How many of you know this? That last week, Pokemon outrated porn. More hits on Pokemon than porn. That's good news. Porn can be broken. We don't need Pokemon to break it. We need time with God. To be so moved by God, to be so entertained by His glory, His majesty, who He is, to know Him and to understand Him. David had such a place that he said, I can't have the presence of God outside of the heart of this nation. I've got to go down to Gilead. I've got to get the Ark of the Covenant. I've got to bring it up here to Mount Zion. I'm taking all the cloth off of it, all the veils off of it. I want it open for everyone to come and see the presence of God. And I want the Levites to begin singing and to begin praying and giving testimony 24-7 so that in the heart of Israel God's heart is here meeting with His people we've got that heart beating right here, we've got His heart beating right here in the presence of His Holy Spirit, but we're more entertained with the things of this world we're not representing His heart, we're seeking after it, it's about time you catch it because He's a God that wants to be caught He wakes you up in the morning. He wakes you in the middle of the night. He speaks to you constantly, speaks to you daily. He wants to have fellowship with you and I. He loves us. David began to realize God loves him so much. Don't you see that's the trick of the enemy? What the enemy does is bring guilt and shame so that you will not approach a holy God. God solved the issue of sin and guilt and shame by the blood of Jesus, so you'd never lose confidence again. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, but who walk according to the Spirit, the Spirit of life instead of the law of death. He loves you. David began to understand that. That's why David could face any many enemy. Because he knew God was there. He spent time with him. He was built up. Secondly, he had knowledge of God. 
Psalm 51.6, Behold, you delight in the truth, in the inward being, and you, God, teach me wisdom in the secret heart. God wants to instruct us. God wants to teach us. We need an encounter with God to realize He's speaking to us the secrets of life. You don't need to self-medicate anymore. You know how much what's going on? Drugs, alcohol, pharmaceuticals, all sorts of imitations of God's presence. People use to calm themselves down, to get peace, to numb out. You don't need that. You possess God's heart. But we need to begin imitating it. And last of all is the love of God. That's what David understood. He had a love hunger for God. He was unrestrained. When he worshipped, he worshipped unrestrained. He didn't care. Look, at he had been rejected by his parents, rejected by his brethren, rejected by everybody else. He knew the love God had for him. He had for God. He didn't care if his wife said, you're an idiot. He didn't care if everyone said, that's terrible what you're doing. He said, you ain't seen it yet. I'm going to be more more outrageous in my worship to my God. I love Him because I know He loves me. Do you know how much He loves you? Do you understand what it cost for Him to purchase your salvation? Do you understand that He is interceding for you day and night, moment by moment, the Spirit's groaning right now? That's not you getting hungry for lunch. It's the Spirit of God wrestling inside of you to know the will of the Lord in your next decision and your next choice because He wants His heart revealed to this world who doesn't understand it. We heard the testimony of another Muslim who gets saved in the night by the image of Jesus. I have to, I have to think the reason Muslims are getting saved is because God can't use Christians. He's got to show up in the room. Because all we'll do is debate and argue with him, but his glory shows up, and there's no debate. They need the heart of God to show up. This world's dying. This world is rejecting the image of God that we portray. Maybe it's not God they're rejecting, but our image of God. And so God needs a people who are hungry. God needs a people who are after His own heart, fashioned after His own heart, not seeking His heart, but in fact, demonstrating it, imitating it, because we own it. That's radical. That is radical. That's absolutely radical. I represent the heart of God. When you walk in the room, the heart of God walks in a room because you know how His love is. You know his love could turn that room upside down. You know that love would accept anybody in that room no matter where they failed, what sin they had, or whatever issue it is. The love of God is here to redeem them, save them, set them free. You're so confident in the room that you don't care if there's a Goliath, a bear, or a lion, you'll kill it. Get it out of the way to honor God because you're the heart of God. You showed up with God. And this is what true worship and devotion is. Your expression of love towards God is actually a reflection of your understanding of God's expression of love towards you. The reason you worship and how you worship is your direct response to understanding His love for you. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? Does you understand that? 
So a half-hearted expression of love to Him is actually expressing what you think He thinks of you. Because you don't know His heart for you. That's the one thing that will change all of us. It changed King David and it made him a man that imitated God because he understood God's love for him. You've called me and you've set me on that throne. God has called everyone here and he loves you. We've worshiped God this morning in spirit and truth. We've laid ourselves before him. We've shouted hallelujah and danced before him. We've expressed our love for him because do you know the word of God says he dances over us? He's, he's enjoying you this morning. He loves you. He dances over you. He sings over you. He weeps over us. He disciplines us and he instructs us. But his love is poured out on us. And the whole reason we responded is because we began to understand and we love him. We recount all that he's done in his love for us and we begin to thank him and we get to praise him. It doesn't stop. It's not a song. It's not a start. It's a life. It's a heart. And God has that here. And so would you bow your heads with me as I close? God, oh God, awaken our understanding. Speak into the secret heart of our being that we may know how much you love us. You've called us and called us your own. You've put your heart in us that we may express it to others. Shape us, mold us as you did David. Shape us and mold us by your Holy Spirit's intercession that we may rightly represent your heart. Oh God, help us now. And help us to worship you (laughs) in spirit and in truth. Unashamed. Unbridled. To defend your name and your glory and your honor. And to present this love to a dying world that's blind and captive. And you so want to set them free. May our hearts be ablaze for your passions. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to offer to you this morning, someone in this house, the love of God. God has called you here. God has known you from the beginning of time and He marked this day as your day. He's been trying to break in and break through your life. He wants you to understand that He wants your heart to be His heart. You might have been rejected. You may have been rejected by others. But He will not reject you. I don't care what sin, what failure, what malady, what issue you have. You will never be rejected by Christ Jesus. He came and died for you. So is there anyone here this morning that says, you know what, I need that love and I want a Savior. Is there anyone here this morning that has never accepted Christ as your Savior? Would you just lift up a hand? We want to pray for you. We want to give you the assurance of salvation. Amen. Amen. That's how much God loves you. And you know it now. You're hearing it. God loves you. And so we want to pray for you this morning, all right? And I'm going to ask you to do something. Could you stand up? Amen. The reason I had you stand up is because you're facing a Goliath. 
the Goliath of doubt and the, the Goliath of accusation, but faith right now has caused you to stand up because that love, nothing's going to come between the love of God for you. And so, folks, could we pray a prayer with them to receive Jesus? Amen? We're going to pray with you guys, all right? And would you repeat this prayer with us? Now, it's a prayer you're speaking from your heart, but something's happening in the realm of your faith and in the Spirit. So, everybody, let's, let's stand together as a witness for them. The reason I have all this going on is because I want you to know all these people love you and have done the same thing and are with you. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Let's say this prayer together, okay? Dear Jesus, I confess I am a sinner. And I know you died for my sins. Forgive me and wash my sins clean. I put my faith in your blood that paid the price for me. Holy Spirit, come now and dwell in me. Give me a spiritual birth that I would be adopted as a child of God. Seal me. Cleanse me. And I am now born again. I give you my life and I will follow you and I will obey you as long as I live. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen.